Welcome to 7 Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. Most people are pretty uncomfortable talking about death. I hope this program can help to change that and make death a more natural topic of conversation. On today's program, I'm speaking with Susan. She's been a cancer survivor for over 30 years. And I said, you know, the hardest thing is I can't touch you again. And he reached his hand out to me. Question one. What do you believe happens to a person's consciousness or spirit after the body dies? I believe, and I get to, that there is a continuation. I know what I believe happens for myself. And I know what I can extend a general belief system to support the people that I love. I had to look, as a, I'm a cancer survivor over 30 years, I had to look when I was in my 30s and going, wow, I could die like very soon. And I had to check out, how do I feel about that? Am I afraid? And I checked out different belief systems. And I, I found for myself, there's nothing for me to be afraid of. I moved through that and I thought, okay, so how can I live my life the best way I can. So no matter what the end result is, because I don't actually know, I haven't, um, you know, gone to another place. I haven't had a near-death experience like that or anything. And I thought, so I want to live my life with integrity and joy so that whatever happens, I'm going to feel, feel clean and clear. And then I have noted from hearing people tell stories of being with their loved ones, I have gathered a belief system to me that when the body dies, the energy of the person is close by for a certain length of time. And so I pay attention to that. And sometimes I would let the person know who has died by the way we're okay. By the way, those you love are okay. By the way, you're okay. And then what happens after that? I don't know. Meaning, I have some ideas, but I don't actually care. I go, so you're safe. I'm safe. I'm going to live with intention. And then coming from Tibetan Buddhist context... There would be, for me, I've had a commitment that I would return to this earth and that I would continue to be of service. That interests me a lot. And I look at developing skills in this lifetime that I can take to another lifetime. And so I focus on, on gaining those skills in this lifetime. So I'm going to be the best I can be. So I can use those skills in another lifetime coming back, and then we'll see where we go from there. So I'm into helping out on Earth. Question two. 
Have you ever been present when someone else's life ended? Yes. And is there anything about that experience that you feel comfortable sharing? Oh, sure. Yeah. I had the privilege of being with my dad as he passed away. And so that was wonderful because he knew I was very supportive of him. And we didn't have to be the same spiritual practice. I had made friends with his minister. It was Anglican. And he had said, if you're there when your dad dies, here's the prayer book and you can say the prayer. I went, cool. So there I was for about three weeks where sometimes he would stop breathing. And I'd go, oh, this is the time. And I'd make a note. And then he, so he would stop breathing for longer than you can imagine. And then he would start breathing again. I went, or not. And so we just carry on. And then this one evening, he said to me, would you like to watch some TV? And I said, no, I don't need to. I'm just going to do, I had permission to do a few of my own prayers while, or mantras while I was sitting with him. So I said, I'll just do those. He said, okay. And we were just with each other. And then I finished a certain prayer and I looked over at him and I thought, I think he's gone. I'm just going to wait. And I waited. And then the nurse came in and she said, yes, he's gone. And I said, okay. So then I went and I told my brother and, uh, and I said, well, he's gone. And, and they said, okay. And then the doctor was going to come and the minister, but I had permission to say this particular prayer. So I went, okay. They said, well, we'll send over the people to come and get the body. I said, you know, he's, he's dead. So it's night. Could we ask that you don't do it until tomorrow morning? Would that be okay for you? And they said, oh yeah, sure. So I said, okay. So there we are sitting there and his doctor was a younger man, was in the room, and this other minister. So there was the three of us. And we're sitting and we're visiting. Like we were in a circle with my dad uh, lying there. And we're talking. Both of them were telling stories of knowing my dad. He was older. They were younger. It was a wonderful time. Peaceful. Very, very peaceful. And then the doctor said to me, Excuse me if you don't mind, but I have to check his vital signs and make sure that he's dead. And I said, definitely go for it. It would be about at least 45 minutes after he had died. And I said to them, good, but please know that if, if my dad comes alive right now, after this length of time, I'm going to drop dead. Like, seriously, somebody's going to be dead in this room. <laughs> like, there's no way. That, and we all laughed. And it was the laughter that heals. And then he checked my dad's vital signs. And of course, he had passed. We spent another length of time visiting. Then they left and I had been sleeping in my dad's room in a cot. It's a lovely little small hospital in Port Capel, Saskatchewan. And so I went to sleep. 
And then I woke up in the morning early. I went over to him and I thought, you know, you smell like a rose. It's so beautiful. And we sat and then when the folks came to take his body, it had a natural, it had a gentleness to it. Later on, one of the nurses who I kept in touch with after that, she said, you know, she said, I see colors. And the room was filled with a beautiful blue light. And she said, you know what? It stayed for the next family whose mother was in transition and dying. And it helped them. I loved that. Question three. Have you ever experienced communication from someone who is no longer alive in the physical world? Or have you wondered if you were receiving communication from someone who had passed on? In some small ways, yes. I had a beautiful communication with my younger brother who had died in, as a teenager. I saw him in a dream and I knew it was a dream. And I said, you know, the hardest thing is I can't touch you again. And he reached his hand out to me. And I thought, ooh, because I knew it was a dream. But I thought, he offered, I'm going for it. And I could feel his hand. I could hold his hand. And I just, I loved that. So that was one. Wow. Beautiful. Right? You go, what could be? And my son died recently in May. And the day after, I had a friend who was doing some Reiki with me. And she said, I'm going to listen and hear if I can hear any messages from anyone. And I went, okay, because that's not really my gift. I'm more of a I'm here person. She was giving me some Reiki on my feet. And she said, you know, I hear your son and he's saying, I'm home. And I received that. I knew that he was in a safe place. Just feeling it. And I thought, okay, that's, that's beautiful. A couple of days later, I woke up weeping and who wouldn't? And I sat out on my back porch and was meditating with the sunrise. I love to do that. And his beingness came while I was still. His name was Matthew. And he said to me, you know, Mom, Zena didn't hear me correctly. He said, I didn't say I am home. And I was just quiet listening. And he said, what I said was, we are home. And I felt a beautiful energy of being in the present moment. We can open to anyone, everyone. He is not in this body and yet his energy is there. We and expand anyway. Our is right here, right now. And home is something that I believe as a stance how do i offer someone a safe place how do i help people belong and i just felt a beautiful sense of blissful energy come in 
And it stayed with me for about three days. And I am still absorbing it and integrating it. And so it's the most beautiful way of understanding for me what it is to live beyond the physical. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. You're listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you'd like to be interviewed, or if you have a comment about the show, please get in touch. My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is the number seven. Question four. Do you want to be with you when you die? And what circumstances would you choose if you could choose them? I would find an ideal circumstance for me, I'll go for that one first, is that I could move into a meditative state. That's my preferred. And I don't need to be sitting up. Lying down is fine if I need to. I would prefer to be calm. I would prefer not to be drugged. And then who would be with me would be someone who would understand that it's a natural process. And I get that. And that's what I've done for some people is I've helped them get into a, a state that they can move with. I know my husband has already said, I want you to be with me when I die. So I went, okay, great. So it obviously can't be him because <laughs> I love the idea of moving peacefully. If that's at all possible for us to have the intention to be grateful for what has been Grateful for the present we are in and grateful to send love ahead of us. And so ideally with people who understand that. Do you have any preferences about the location at home or in a hospital or outside or does it matter to you at all? I'm a city girl. I kind of like my bed. I kind of like it comfortable. <laughs> if at all possible, I don't want to be camping, please. You know, <laughs> if I can. Not in the I, forest then, huh? You know, please no. Although my husband might say, I'd love, I love it if we could go in a forest. I said, I'd like you to just note if something you're not telling me about some kind of physical condition, I'm going to have to buddy with you while we're camping and you're going to be making a break for freedom. You let me know, please. Honestly, seriously. So I would prefer, when I say we are home, a sense of home, a sense of what is important that way, keeping in mind what are the conditions. I, I don't really want to have an extended life. I don't need that. I could do this anywhere. I can tell you I could do this anywhere. When I had my cancer treatment, 
it was in a hospital and I found a way to make that a peaceful place. So I'm okay with that. My preferred though would be in my home and with uh, the circumstances where other people can feel safe and supported as they support me and, and not camping, ideally not camping. <laughs> Hard no on hard no on hard camping. No, on camping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Question five. How do you feel about the fact that you will die? Are you afraid of your death? As I had cancer as a young woman, it came close to me and I could see, okay, uh, I understood the fact that I had to figure out quickly, is this something I'll be afraid of? And I thought, no, I don't need to be afraid of this. Okay, fair enough. However, how do I feel about the fact I, I will die? I had a little game I had to play with myself immediately because I thought, if I'm in remission, that means cancer could come back any time. How do I set up goals? And so I had to have a chat with my inner little self. And uh, they said, you know, you can't plan for anything because you don't know when you're going to die. And I said, okay, fair enough. And I said, however, do we think we're going to die in the next five minutes? And they said, uh, no. And I said, cool. So how about we live our life as if we've got five minutes or 50 years, whichever comes first? Go, okay. So then I thought, then what I can achieve in five minutes or 50 years is one, I can live joyfully. So I had a saying, if I have two loaves of bread, I'll dare to sell one. The loaves of bread are like survival. I'll dare to sell one and buy a flower. I'll buy something pretty, beautiful, the arts, laugh, gentleness. So that's one. Two. Do not use an axe to remove a fly from your friend's forehead. If I keep in mind that I could die at any time, then I like to be tidy. I like to spend my time with people. And if something's not resolved, to take care of it and not to uh, say, I'll get to this sometime later. And the third one, though, is a wonderful saying, a person stands on a hillside with their mouth open for a long time before roast duck flies in. So even keeping in mind, I didn't know at that point how long I would live, I thought, let's take action on some things like throwing things forward. And now it's over 30 years. You go, okay. And yet, when someone dies quickly, you're not expecting it. And it gets you in the stomach. You realize, well, any one of us could. So... Can I be up to date? So I've used that to keep myself up to date with the people that I love. So that if I have to go quickly, I have a will. I took care of that. Over the years, uh, my husband and I have downsized so that I think about the people who would come in and go, what the heck? Who wants mom's collection of who cares what? And I go, I'm going to take care of that and move that along. So... I know I will die. I most of the time am at ease with it in the sense of 
Am I up to date? And yet, having grandkids helps me understand how important it can be, if possible, for me to live wholeheartedly quite some time yet. I'm 70 now, and so I would like to live quite dynamically, well, let's just say 10 years and then more, if possible, so why not? Mostly so that I can meet the challenges that come and I can begin to plant those seeds and nurture them so that when I'm gone, they will be able to say, they call me Nini, they'll be able to say, I remember when Nini used to say, when we used to do and Nini did this and we did that, I remember so that I'm planting those seeds forward. So in that case, it's helpful for me to live longer than now. I will do my best to take care of myself so that I can reduce stress on my loved ones. However, to also plant those seeds of we are here with my granddaughter. We're here. You're there. We're still close. Question six. Are there any traditions or practices connected with death which you find meaningful? Uh, yeah. So I use a version of uh, the Tibetan Buddhist structure. And one is the tradition of for 49 days after the person dies, that you would think of them and send them a blessing. When I first was introduced to it, it was just saying a simple blessing, like the mantra, Omani Pei Mi Hong. It's just a blessing. And what I loved about that was I could hold the person in my mind. I was instructed to do it when you're feeling in a good mood. So if, if there's a place early in the morning or in the middle of the day or in the evening, that that's when you find your peaceful place. I'm a morning person, so it's morning. Send that up there and just know it reaches them. You go, okay. And then I noticed over 49 days, what that did was it built a relationship with the people that I can't touch physically. And then sometimes I have noted of the people I have loved and lost, there's an intense time of grieving early on. And then there's a time when you're visiting with a friend and you're laughing and you suddenly go, <gasps> and you have that terrible guilt of how could have I forgotten my loved one? Here I am laughing. Am I being disrespectful, etc. And this takes away that. This just says, I'm thinking about you every day. I'm sending you a quick blessing. And along the way, if I'm crying, if I'm crying. If I'm laughing, I'm laughing. And the 49 days holds a rhythm. Later on, I do the King's Prayer for 49 days. And now I do it every day. And I bring in people that I hear who have passed away. They could be communities. I call it casualties on both sides of the weapon. I bring in 
the children, I bring in the pets, I bring in the predators, and I bring in the perpetrators. I say everybody gets to come in, and I think of it as running a campfire. You get to gather around and have a moment of calm. And then I transfer the names to another sheet of paper. And to me, it's a way of remembering all those extraordinary people who've made a difference in this world. Because to just say the world is full of love is too big for me. It's too general. When I can look at these sh this sheet with a few years now of, of just names there, I go, yes, there was that beautiful person. Oh, yes, there was this one. And then when I hear someone else's past, I don't go, oh, no, another. I go, yeah, they are passing. And when I do that, for those who are close to me at first in the passing, oh, it hurts like stink. It really stings. Oh, no, they're in the prayer now. And you go, yeah, they are. And then slowly, slowly over 49 days, it eases. And then... The one that I choose once someone has died is I do choose to do a celebration of life. I choose to gather, um, be authentic, and yet to honor with stories. And many times in the Tibetan Buddhist one, they don't. They don't really do that. They just say, no, on, moved on. And I go, excellent. This is where I get to pick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I pick that those people that I love or I have the choices that I get to express, I, I really like to do a celebration of love and life that any age could attend. Question seven. If you could ask a source of all knowledge some questions about death, what would you ask? If I could ask an all-being source any question about death, then I would simply say, how may I best be of service through living this life well, dying as well as I can, and coming back and being of service. Any other tips you want to give me, you know, all-knowing source, bring it home. That's what I would be asking. How can I be of service? And often as I go through living my life and grieving and mourning and different thoughts come in, and I will have ones that will repeat. I might argue with gravity sometimes, and that would mean, why did so-and-so have to die? I don't, I wish they weren't dead, etc. And you go, okay, that's okay. You get to, you get to not like it. However, then I will circle back and I will say, could I have depth, please? How I could go deeper and understand this. And it might be a depth of insight, it might be the ability to truly be with each other and dare to throw our heads back and laugh and let that lightness come. I'm a practical person, so I like that seed that you planted where I could say, anytime you want to come into me and give me a little hint, a little 
sort of tip, a little image, uh, who cares what, be open to what the children will say, then I'm into it. I will receive that and then plant forward. My thanks to today's guest, Susan. She's been a cancer survivor for more than 30 years. You've been listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you're interested in being interviewed, or if you have a comment or a question, please get in touch. My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is a number seven. Thanks for listening. <laughs>